my father stood up in front of the relatives, in front of the friends, and made a speech. He said, well, my son just told me that he's going to mission work. He's going to Pakistan. Wow. He said, I don't understand what that means. But he said, I'm going to say one thing. He said, from today onward, he will not call me father anymore. Welcome to another episode of the Serve Asia podcast, where we have conversations about the people and places of East Asia and how our lives following Jesus might be shaped and informed by the experiences of those working to make him known across the street and across the world. I'm your host, Chris Watts, part of the communications team at OMF UK. Today, we're sharing an episode from the Kingdoms podcast. They sat down with Patrick Fung, OMF International's General Director, and the Kingdoms podcast were kind enough to allow us to share the episode here with you. Do check out some of their other episodes by searching in your podcast app of choice or use the link in the show notes provided. Patrick's story is fascinating. Luke, the host of the Kingdoms podcast, does a great job of introducing him and telling his story. So I'm just going to hand you straight over to their conversation. If you could do anything for the kingdom of God, what would you do? Together we explore ambition, discovering calling, and impacting culture, seeking to live the words of Jesus. Father, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. This is the Kingdom's Podcast. Hey, everybody. Thank you for being with us for the Kingdoms podcast episode today. I'm really grateful to have with me on this episode, Dr. Patrick Fung. Now, Dr. Fung is the general director for OMF International, uh, serving people all over the world, but specifically focusing on lost people groups in Southeast Asia. And Dr. Fung, along with having an incredible wealth of experience in the medical field, also has some really powerful insights on what it means to be living on mission globally, all around the world. And in our conversation today, he talks about his own journey to faith as a young man who grew up in China. Also, what it meant to, to lay down a successful medical career to pursue a career in missions. And along with that, exploring and discovering how God has called us to make an eternal difference in the world. So I'm super thankful to Dr. Fung, but also really grateful now for the chance to share our conversation together with you. So without further ado, here's our conversation with Dr. Patrick Fung. Well, friends, I'm here with Dr. Patrick Fung, one of the uh, the foremost leaders in cross-cultural missions today. Uh, Dr. Patrick, thank you so much for being with us. Yeah, well, great to see you, Luke. Yeah, just call me Patrick Woodrow. Thank you. Oh, that's awesome. Well, it's uh, it's fun to do this because uh, I'm I'm up at 6 a.m. here in Canada. It's 7 p.m. Uh, where you are in Singapore, that's but right. really, really grateful to be able to connect in this way. Um, thank you. Patrick, I'm excited to... Uh, to hear some of your wisdom and insights on cross-cultural missions, your work as the general director with OMF. Uh, but really quick for our listeners, would you uh, take a moment just to walk us through your faith journey, how, how you grew up, how you encountered Jesus, and, and especially how God pointed your life into, yeah. into missions work? Yeah, I grew up in Hong Kong. I was born in Hong Kong, and I grew up uh, from a non-Christian home. 
So I did not know Jesus, you know, when I was young. Mm. But my, my parents were very interesting. They were keen to send me to a Catholic school, mm. believing that a Catholic school is a better school, because which was true. They, uh, they have very good standards. So I grew up both in a primary school and high school in a Catholic school. Mm. So in a Catholic school, I actually set for my uh, high school graduation exam. One subject is called BK, Bible Knowledge. Hmm. Now, to sit for the exam, I need to study the Bible. And for my year, I was given the task to study two books in the New Testament. One was the book of Mark. One was the book of Acts. Wow. Now, when I was 16, I had to sit for the high school exam. And for the sake of the exam, at that time, I could recite the book of Mark and the book of Acts from wow. chapter 1, verse 1. Right to the end of the book, I could recite the whole two books. Wow! At the age of sixteen, now, I can't do it now, but uh, but interestingly, I knew the two books well. I got an A, I got an A for my exam, but I did not know the Bible. I did not know the meaning of the gospel hmm. until I went to Australia, and there I was in, invited to a Bible study group, and there I went to join a Bible study group every Saturday. All the students, overseas students, came together. But I was, they told me I was the troublemaker. I, I asked difficult questions. I was making life very hard for the Bible study group leader. But I kept going. Mm. Every week I kept going. Mm. And looking back, I was just so grateful to my brothers and sisters who were so patient with me, even though I was a troublemaker. But after nine months, I came before God acknowledging, having understood the word, understanding what Christ has done for me. Mm. I really say, Lord, I need you to forgive my sins. I'm asking you to forgive my sins, my pride, my arrogance. So there I surrendered my life to God. For the first time, I understood what the gospel meant to me. That was at the age of 19 when wow. I went to Australia to study. And that was also a very important year because at the age of 19, I entered medical school. Mm. So two things happened. I became a Christian. I entered medical school. Hmm. Wow. And so you, you're starting into medical school. You're in a, in a new country. You've discovered this new faith that yeah, uh, in exactly. some, wasn't a part of your home family, but was a part in some ways of your, your education as a, yeah, as a kid. Totally new for me. Yeah. And I grew, I grew. And one thing I, I, uh, I grew was because people gave me the opportunity to learn. Mm, mm. Uh, about a year and a half later, I became a yeah. Christian the Bible study group leaders say, well, since you asked so many hard questions in the past, now, why don't you try leading the Bible study? I say, you must be joking. I'm just a one-year-old Christian. You asked me to lead Bible studies. He said, yes. I say, I can't do it. He said, you can. And what happened was that he said, I will help you by doing pre-study, mm. pre-study mm. before Saturday. Because Saturday is the Bible study. So how did he do the pre-study? He said, come over to my place for breakfast every Tuesday morning. Mm. So every Tuesday I came to his home, mm. he would cook breakfast for me. Yeah. A typical Australia breakfast. Yeah. Egg, ham, sausage, and egg. A full Australian breakfast, maybe not so healthy, but <laughs> a treat as a student. But mm. he said, okay, let's have breakfast and let's study the word of God together. Mm. There I grew because I, I felt looking back, people trusted me, gave me an opportunity to learn. And that, mm. that, that's why as a young Christian, I learned 
how to lead the Bible study because people say, go and try. You can do yeah. it. And I think that that was so encouraging to me, just looking back what God did. Yeah. Wow. So take us, how, how did you get from that place of being in med school in Australia uh, mm. to ultimately enter into cross-cultural missions? Uh, that was a long journey because, mm. uh, but in medical school, I came to read the word of God and um, the word of God just really just connected me that, you know, the gospel is to, to be preached to the whole world. So mm. I knew very little about mission, but then I was reading the word of God and the, the word of God just, I felt the word of God just convinced me that the gospel is for the whole world, not just for a few people, mm. not just for the students. So before I graduated, I already say, Lord, you know, uh, if you want me to go anywhere, I'm willing to. Mm. But then I pray one prayer one night. I say, Lord, I, I'm afraid to be kind of lonely uh, if I go to a place far, far away. At that time, I don't even... I didn't even know how to use the word mission. What, what mm-hmm. I meant was, Lord, if you're sending me out to mission work, mm-hmm. can you provide me with a wife that I, I would like somebody who share this journey with me? Yeah. I still remember I prayed this prayer at the age of 20. Mm-hmm. For the first time in my life, I prayed for a wife mm-hmm. at the age of 20. I said, mm-hmm. Lord, I, I need a wife if you want me to do mission work. The other thing was that at that time, there were some retired missionaries a couple who were in the China Indian Mission in China, mm. they retired. They came back to Australia. They encouraged the students. And the names were uh, Mr. and Mrs. Norgate. They share their stories with me, their work in China. One amazing story was that, you know, they were not married when they first went to China. And uh, they fell in love. And in those days, when the mission knew that you fell in love, they purposely put you apart so that you can learn the language without distraction. Oh, wow. but, but they say they, they, if they were to see each other, they have to cross mountains and cross rivers to see oh, each other. Wow. I thought, wow, that's the most amazing love story I've ever heard. But that really challenged me about commitment. Mm. You know, even though they were separated to learn the Chinese language, but in the end, they got married and uh, served God in one of the poorest areas in China called Guizhou. And they came back to Australia and I was impacted by their life, their Mm -hmm. dedication to God, their love for the Chinese, and Mm -hmm. just what it means to be in mission service, their love for God and for the gospel. So so both the word of God and Mm -hmm. real life examples really just encouraged me. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of China, for you growing up in a traditional Chinese home and, and becoming a first generation Christian, Yeah. You know, for many people that that are listening, they've only ever known what it's like for their parents to be Christians, maybe their grandparents to be Christians. They they often come from a longstanding Christian heritage, uh, but you were this first generation Christian, and so um, what were some of the unique challenges that you experienced? <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, what were some of the yeah the unique challenges you experienced in yeah following my Christ? my parents were traditional, you know, very ordinary traditional mm. Chinese. They came from Chinese background. So mm. they were not believers. So, and my parents, like perhaps like other Chinese parents, they were very proud of their children, particularly if their children are successful in the eyes of the world. Mm. So my wife and I are doctors. So mm. of course, my, my father was very proud and they would love to talk about us in front of other friends and relatives. And sometimes to the extent I got a bit embarrassed 
And so my father was very proud of me as a doctor and my, my wife as well. Mm. But the time came when I had to tell them, look, that I, I, I believe God is calling me to, to mission work. And of mm. course, it's very hard. It was very hard for him to understand. Mm. Now, I still remember one particular incident was this. It was the, what we call in Chinese, the mid-autumn festival, the autumn festival, which is very similar to the Thanksgiving day for Canada of Canadians or Americans, the Thanksgiving, mm. which is a very important day of uh, kind of celebration, inviting friends and relatives to come together for a meal, wonderful celebration meal. And my parents usually do that. And uh, they, they invite their friends and relatives and, you know, usually to, to our home and, and we have this wonderful celebration dinner. But that particular celebration before the dinner, my father stood up in front of the relatives, in front of the friends and made a speech. He said, well, my son just told me that he's going to mission work. He's going to Pakistan. Wow. He said, I don't understand what that means. But he said, I'm going to say one thing. He said, from today onward, he will not call me father anymore. Wow. And today, from today onward, he shall, I, I, I shall not, you know, I have one son less. He said, I have one son less. Now, wow. can you imagine this is like the Thanksgiving day, you know, everybody sort of sitting there around the uh, table with all the wonderful food. I just could not continue. I, I went to my room, just cried and cried. I, I think I never came out again because I just couldn't come out and face my father's friends and relatives. And, and so when I left for the training course in OMF, uh, he never said goodbye. My, my dad could not bring himself to say goodbye. It was too painful for him. But of course, looking back, I mean, I could understand why. I mean, he was, I mean, I, I was his kind of something to be proud of, right? He can talk about me before his uh, relatives and friends. And I could understand why I have broken his heart. And, and but it was too much for him. So he could never say goodbye. So I came to OMF, joining the orientation course, feeling very raw because mm. there was no goodbye for me, mm. for my dad. Mm. And for him, to me and for me to him. Until four years later, I finished my first term in Pakistan, came home. Uh, my daughter was born. Of course, uh, they were very happy. And, uh, you know, and then there is this big one month old celebration. In Chinese culture, when a baby is one month old, there's a big celebration. Right on. But, but the problem was this, that I, Jenny and I were to take my daughter back to Pakistan about four days after the, the one month celebration. Wow. So that was hard for my parents. And for them, they couldn't understand. They say, well, you're willing to suffer. That's all right. But why do you allow my grandchild to suffer? I mean, that, that's their fair question. Why, why do you want my, that's, she's my grandchild, my granddaughter. Why, why do you want her to suffer? So it was very, very hard, but we went out for dinner for the, one month old celebration, so to speak. And I still remember that dinner. It was just a family dinner. We had a, a very nice dinner. My, my dad took me to one of the, the nicest restaurants in Hong Kong, famous for roast duck, roast duck. And I remember that dinner and you know we had wonderful food. And towards the end of the dinner, there were still a few pieces of roast duck 
left on the plate. And I remember this is what my father said. He said, well, son, finish all the food on the plate. I said, dad, I, I'm full. I can't eat anymore. I mean, you've given me wonderful food. He said, no. He said, I bet, I bet there is no roast duck in Pakistan. Hmm. Now, you may think that is funny and that's all about food, but actually that is not. Mm. That is a very Chinese way for a Chinese father mm. to say to a Chinese son and say, I don't understand what you're doing, but I still care for you. Mm. Now, when he say that, I felt God heal the wound that was still mm. bleeding for four years because I felt that chapter finally came to an end because I felt Four years ago, there was no goodbye. Now mm. there was a proper goodbye because he acknowledged that I'm going to Pakistan. He's kind of saying, I feel sad. I'll miss you, but okay. Mm. I felt there was a proper goodbye. And I think there was that mending of that relationship. <clears throat> wow. So it took four years for us to come together again. And I realized that God healed the wound. Mm. It took another 20 years then my father became a Christian. Wow. So that was the story Wow. about my father. So it took another 20 years. Then my dad became a Christian. Wow. Yeah, so he's now with the Lord. So it was a long journey. So mm. I learned the journey of waiting upon God, trusting him, and just still serve the Lord. And the Lord knows. Yeah. God is good. So, yeah. Wow. So can I ask, how many years after you first became a Christian, did your father become a Christian? Uh, almost 25 years. Almost 25 years. After I left for Mission Field, 25 yeah. years. Yeah. yeah. Just because that is, I think that will be encouraging to people that are yeah. listening who are praying for people they 25 love. 25 years. And to, God, God is good. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So maybe to, to pivot from that, that's a beautiful sure. and, and a powerful story, but maybe to pivot into what you're a part of now, um, you obviously served it in Pakistan, but now you're serving as the general director for the Overseas Missionary Fellowship, so or OMF yeah. International, as some know it. And um, would love to to look a little bit at your role as a leader and some of yeah. the things that that you've learned or are pursuing as a leader. So, what what are some of the, the key things you find yourself uh, having learned uh, through this season of being uh, the leader of this missions movement? Um, yeah. Perhaps there are many things I have learned, but maybe I just highlight one that mm. I felt God has taught me most is to appreciate the unity in diversity. Mm. Uh, um, diversity is, is, is very interesting because in OMF, we have people from different generations. Mm -hmm. We have 18 year old. We have 80 year old from mm -hmm. 80 to 80. Mm -hmm. We have people from the West, from the East, from the South, from the North. And we have also what I would call the conservatives and the mm. radicals. <laughs> <laughs> we have people from different denominational backgrounds as well. Mm -hmm. And I think learning uh, that diversity is very, very important. But I think the Lord reminded me, it's not just about diversity. It is diversity in unity and unity in diversity. Mm. So I would say the biggest joy for me in OMAP is diversity, but also the biggest challenge as well. Wow. The biggest challenge, because I think the Lord is teaching me to be patient, to be uh, humble. And one thing the Lord has kept 
teaching me is to learn to listen more, to listen more. Yeah. I think if there's one thing the Lord is reminding me is to listen more. I think only by listening, then I understand what people are saying, understand mm. their pain, understand their struggles. And by listening more to see from their perspectives as well, mm. and uh, whether they are young or old, it doesn't matter. But I think their views, their perspectives by listening more. So, so if there's one spiritual lesson for me, in my role as a leader, I, I think is to learn to listen more, which I'm grateful. I think, I think perhaps the Lord has allowed me to grow, to be a better follower of Christ uh, in my leadership role, to, to learn to grow as a follower of Christ. Mm. Yeah. To be wow. patient and humble. Yeah. Just yeah. learning. Wow. It's something that um, I can definitely grow in listening well too. And a moment ago you said, you mentioned the conservatives and, and the radicals and obviously yeah. that, that tension that can kind of exist between some people who may have a, as yeah. you said, maybe more conservative or traditional view versus maybe yeah. more radical or uh, progressive. And in some ways that's a microcosm within OMF yeah. of, of I, a reality yeah. in our world, right? Of, of yeah. living and, in a time And of, they are not necessarily because of West and East, because mm, some mm. Eastern people may not be conservatives. They may be very radical as well. Mm. And some Westerners may be very conservative. So I, I think we need to be very open mm. and not prejudge. Yeah. I think we need to understand where they are coming from yeah. Yeah, and be open. Yeah. yeah. In yeah. the midst of that, you know, in the midst of us living uh, in that, that kind of that tension, but also the reality of change that's happening in our world. Mm. Um, how do you find yourself casting vision as you look to the future? You know, what, what shapes informs, directs your vision for the movement of the gospel in Southeast Asia uh, in the midst of some of those competing forces and in the midst of just seeing how our world is changing? Yeah, I, I, think, I think it's very interesting. Just the pandemic has, um, you know, forced us to rethink about our role in mission, mm. uh, you know, the whole pandemic and, uh, you know, restrictions in travel and all that. But I think all the more I feel God is, challenging me to rethink the whole concept of indigenous mission. Mm. That is to encourage, to accelerate the process of indigenous mission, meaning that we are no longer leading the mission. We are participating in missions that started by other people and led by other people mm. and encouraging them. Maybe use the analogy of Barnabas, then a Paul. A Barnabas, you know, encourage a Paul. And I think today many more Barnabases are needed to encourage more Pauls in their own context. And I think that's very, very important. And I think the Lord is teaching us that as well, because nowadays, often just even the pandemic, we can't go to the field. But I think we need to encourage the local people mm. to be involved. But I think there's a relationship that we can continue to encourage them. And I think now the online training is very, very helpful. Mm. But I think it's not just the techniques, it's not just the methods, but, um, but an attitude as well. Attitude as well. I, I think using a phrase borrowed from uh, uh, an old phrase from the third general director of uh, the CIM, Bishop Frank Houghton. Mm. He said this, he says, we let go of controlling hands, but we offer helping hands. Hmm. We let go of controlling hands, but we offer helping hands. Meaning, helping hands meaning we are available. We make ourselves available. We do not impose on others what we want to do, but let others invite you to come into their space. 
right. to serve and uh, let them take the lead. I think yeah. that is that would be good. I think wow. the other thing which is a, a trend in terms of uh, vision casting is I, I think there's also a trend of a new migration phenomena. I mean, in the past, there was the European migration hundreds of years ago, but now there is a new migration trend that is people from the majority world now migrating to the Western world. Mm-hmm. I just read a study just a few days ago that there are now more African churchgoers in London than native British churchgoers in London. Wow. More African churchgoers in London than local British churchgoers. So can you imagine that? So God has changed the world. And and I think how wonderful it would be if the majority world people in the West can partner with brothers and sisters in the West together Hmm. to reach out to, you know, people scattered all over the world. I mean, in London or in other big cities like Vancouver, Toronto, there are tourists, international students, asylum seekers, and, you know, migrants from every place. Hmm. I heard that the largest migrant population in Ottawa are the Arabs. That's what I heard, Arabs. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. You've got a large Arab population in Ottawa. You think about, you know, reaching out to others. There in Ottawa, there's a big Arab population. And, and is God, does God care for them? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I think God may be challenging us to rethink, you know, mission is far away, but also mission is close by as well. So that is where the trend is. Man, absolutely. Absolutely. That, and that is so compelling because it, yeah, yeah. The fact that the world, a lot of people living in the West can say the world is coming to us. Yeah, definitely. What are we going to do about it? Yeah, man, definitely. absolutely. That that ties in well with in some of the things that I'd love to dive into with you, specifically considering you know, God's purposes for us, but also mm-hmm. God's provision to meet those purposes. And I know, yeah. um, well, a passage from Acts 16, I think it's one that, that you've referenced. At least I've heard you reference in some of the interviews I've listened to that you've been a part of before this one. Uh, but it says when David served had served God's purpose in his generation, he fell asleep. And and often, you know, people talk about missions as as this need uh, in the world. Uh, but I know you've sometimes described it as as purpose uh, instead mm. of need. Uh, so could mm. you help us understand just the importance of discovering our purpose uh, in advancing mm. the gospel? How God would use who we are, what we've been gifted yeah. with, um, and seeing missions through that lens of of purpose, maybe just versus need. Yeah. I, I love that verse uh, you've just spoken from, I think, Acts 13, 36. You know, when mm. David has served God's purpose in, our, in his generation, he fell asleep. I love that verse of mentioning God's purpose. And I think you asked actually a, a, an excellent question about differentiating, differentiating between God's purpose and need. Um, so thinking about that, I think... For me, the main difference would be this. That's probably not the only difference, but I think I would name one. And that is need can be driven by what I call from the position of power. I have it. Mm. You don't have it. So I Mm. give it to you. Mm. I am more superior. You are in the inferior position. So I offer you what you don't have. Mm. I know something. You don't know something. I'm in a superior position, so I, I'm giving it to you. So I'm not saying all needs are done like that, but I think often need is given 
is made from the position of power. Mm. I think serving God's purpose is not necessarily the same. Actually, it's very, very different. It yeah. is God determines the agenda. Yeah. God often use very weak people, mm-hmm. the unsuspected, the, the unusual. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, I think of David. You know, he was just a shepherd boy. And, you know, when Samuel came to look for the king, nobody thought David would be king at all. Hmm. And so he came from nowhere and uh, came out to serve God's purpose. Now, but yet when David became king, he has this grand vision to build a temple for God. Now, there's a need to build a temple. We know that there is a need. Need is there. Mm-hmm. But you say, okay, there's, I saw the need. So let's, let me build a temple. Right. God say, no, you're not the one. Mm. So even though there was a need, God did not allow him to meet that need because it was not God's purpose. It was not God's intention. Hmm. So when I think about God's purpose is, is I think about, um, you know, quoting a, a phrase probably from Chris right now. I don't have it in front of me, but just verbatim what I remember, uh, remember and that is this Chris says, you know, what is God's mission? It is at God's invitation, by God's command, in God's own timing. Mm. By God's sovereign grace, yeah. we as God's people participate in God's mission. Yeah. So I think what he's trying to say is that it's all under God's sovereign grace and God's sovereign timing. Mm. It's not meeting the need because sometimes meeting the need could be to satisfy my own ego. Mm. And, um, and yet serving God's purpose may be something that we want to do God actually does not want us to do it even mm. though they are great. Now, uh, it's interesting. Um, I, I haven't planned this, but I was reading a reference uh, this morning written by Dixon Edward Hose, uh, the second general director of the China Internet Mission. He became the CIM director, succeeding Hassan Taylor. And at his inauguration speech, which is the most important. People say, okay, what is your vision? You know, okay, tell us, you know, what, what do you want to do for the next how many years? You know, now that you succeeded the most important founder, you know, Hassan Taylor, what is your vision? Amazingly, he says something very unusual. He say, I pray that the CIM may be willing to be small, to be poor, to be despised for the sake of the gospel. Wow. That's the most un- unusual statement. You know, people expect him to cast the grand vision, mm. but he say, I pray that CIM is willing to be small, to be poor, to be despised, and to suffer mm. for the sake of the gospel. So I think in terms of purpose is that sometimes God allows us to go through things that we never wanted because they are not grand enough. But that's, that's great. And, and I learned one thing. I think serving God's purpose, meaning for some people, it may be serving in the most hidden place. No credit will be given to you. No one will write you in the history books. You will never be mentioned in the history books. Mm-hmm. And that will be God's purpose for you. And yet, we remain faithful yeah. to what God has called us to do. And God's name is honor. And for yeah. some others... Maybe your name will be written in the history books and maybe you became a very prominent person and yet the honor goes to God and yet that's also going to God's purpose. But it doesn't have to be only doing big and grand 
things. And uh, if we read Psalm 131, it's the same, you know, the psalmist say, you know, I, I dare not think of great things, nor things too wonderful for me. And yet he say, I have calmed down my soul and quieted my spirit. Hmm. I would call it a, a quiet faith, yeah. a quiet faith yeah. before God, serving God's purpose. Sorry to give you a long answer to your question. I love that. I, I was actually, I was just praying about that yesterday. Uh, so many, not knowing that you were going to, uh, to answer in that way, but, but especially when you talk about um, that sense of, 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 of meeting need from a place of power um, yeah. rather than uh, really, uh, you could say, I think hu- humility. Um, I so want to be a Christian who, instead of having a posture that says, um, um, I've got what you need. come up on my level uh says god has met me in my need i want to would you join me in in encountering him Uh, and join me in experiencing him um join me in the wonder that despite our how undeserving we are god has been uh so kind and and let me through the expression of my life and the way that i serve you as a peer or a neighbor or coworker uh invite you into that love i i couldn't couldn't agree more with that and the mm-hmm. de the de host quote is is compelling. That's hard to live out, but I think when the world <laughs> sees that that yeah. readiness to be poor and despised and to suffer, uh, the world says, "Wow, they have they have found in Jesus someone worth losing everything for." Yeah, uh, and I think that's that's super significant. Um, in the midst of OMF, I know a big part of the culture uh, in OMF is this heartbeat of really by faith, trusting God mm. to provide yeah. for those purposes we just talked about. And I know, uh, Hudson Taylor has this quote said, uh, God's work done in God's way, uh, will never lack God's supply. And so I wonder how have you seen God provide in extraordinary ways in, in your life or the lives of missionaries, uh, you know, I mean, God provides in small or big ways and, mm. and, I, I am not a fundraiser, and I think, I believe I'm a very poor fundraiser if I'm asked to. I'm mm. not gifted in fundraising, and I'm so grateful to OMF that OMF has this rule with CIM as well, and that is that there is no uh, solicitation, meaning we're not going to ask for money. So mm. that is very helpful for me because I, I am a bit shy in asking for money. But yet the Lord has taught me how he provides. Uh, let me just give you one example, um, how the Lord provides in the most amazing way. Um, a few years ago, we are still doing it now, that we are involved in a project called the Hassan Taylor Frim Project. Mm-hmm. And we are still in the process of doing it. We have just finished the script writing mm-hmm. and hopefully going to production. We really hope that this movie, this film will inspire the new generation about mm. God's faithfulness through mm. this very kind of imperfect man called Hassan Taylor. Mm-hmm. So to tell the story of Hassan Taylor, but to be involved in a frim project, I say to God, God, we are not in the frim industry. Mm. We have a lot of money to run a frim industry. Where would the money come from? Mm. I say, look, you know, we don't have the money and we are not in a movie business. And I say, Lord, if you really want us to do this project, you know, of telling people about God's wonderful faithfulness, I say, Lord, uh, please show me the evidence that, that you want us to be involved in this project. I say, we have no money for it. And so I pray. And then 
I was traveling in China uh, for a few weeks. Uh, that, that was about three, four years ago now, many years ago. And um, there was a sister who asked to meet with me for breakfast. Mm-hmm. Now, I never met her before. She said she heard about this uh, movie project. She wanted to know more about the project. I said, okay, now I could meet you. And so we met for, for breakfast. And uh, she and her daughter came along, both Chinese. Actually, they are American Chinese. They, they came and they met with me. And um, now my colleagues were very kind. They prepared some materials for me uh, to be ready to give it to this lady if she wanted it. And I had the whole file about this project in my bag. But somehow in the conversation, I never feel very comfortable to give her this, you know, kind of the, the project file, the, the information. I said, this is the first time I met her and I, I just want her to, I just want to listen to her. So I told her about the project she asked me and uh, the, the breakfast only lasted for half an hour. I and mean, then we had meetings. And so it was not a long meeting, only half an hour, that's it. So I left her without giving her anything. And then I didn't hear from her for a month. I heard nothing from her. Now I met her for the first time. I never, I never knew her before, and I met her for the first time. A month later, I received an email, a very brief email, a very short note in the email, and she said, "Well, Patrick, you know, I just I she said I have just wired one million US dollars wow. to OMF. Wow! I want you to employ a very good scriptwriter." to write a good story about Hassan Taylor. I want wow. you I want you to do this project. Just a very short two sentences email. I have wired $1 million to you. And he said, go and check with OMF whether the money has arrived, that's it. And I thought, wow, you know, I've never seen $1 million in my life. In my yeah, whole life. <laughs> wow, neither have I. Let alone receiving a million dollars. I've never seen a million dollars in my life and let alone, mm. you know, just seeing it in an email. So this is just one of the many, many miracles um, you know, I, I have experienced. And um, I mean, I mean, just, uh, I don't know whether you have time, but let me just give you another short story. This is yeah, just, do it. This is just very early on when I first went to Pakistan. This is more personal. Mm-hmm. And that was in 1991. That is quite some time. Uh, second year third year in Pakistan, second year in second year in Pakistan. My father just retired that year. So I just for the first time got a phone in Pakistan. In, in those days, getting a phone is a luxury. Mm-hmm. It's not easy to have a landline in home. So I just got a phone in my house in Pakistan and my father was able to call me. So for the first time, I got a call from my dad, which was very, very unusual. He said, well, son, your brother, your younger brother is going to university this year. I have just retired. Can you pay for his tuition fee for the university for the first year? Wow. 6,000, 6,000 Australian dollars. Wow. Now, as a very good son, I only have one answer for him. Mm. And that is that uh, it's okay. Don't worry. I'll, I'll handle it. Right. That's the only answer you can give to a father. That's the only answer. As a, as a good Chinese son, you have to say that to a father. Wow. I say that, I, I, just leave it, leave it to me. I'll handle it. Wow. When I hang up the phone, I look at Jenny and Jenny look at me and say, 
where, where, where do we get the $6,000 from? I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't have the $6,000 at all. I don't. I, I'm in Pakistan <laughs> doing God's work. You're a missionary. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Where, where's the $6,000? Yeah. A week later, I received a, a, a letter from Australia, hmm. a church. And inside, there was a church prayer group. And the name was only one person who signed one name because he is, he was the, the, the group leader of this prayer group. He said, well, we, we, we are praying for you. We regularly pray for you, pray for missionaries. And you are one of our missionaries we pray for. But during our prayer time, the Lord somehow impressed upon us that you have some need. Of course, he didn't know what need. He said, they did a kind of a, a collection from the prayer group members, about 10 of us. So they made a collection. And so here we are, we are sending you a check from the collection of a prayer group of about 10 people. And on the check, which is in Australian, Australian currency, it was just over $6,200. Wow. That, exactly what I you mean, needed. They knew, nothing, they knew nothing about my conversation with my father. Mm. They knew nothing about my brother. They were just a prayer group praying for me. And they say, here we are. It's a check from us. Now, I don't know who gave, because I only know the name of the, the group leader. Mm. Now, I can tell you this. That check only came once, not twice. Mm. Not every year, not every month, not the same month of the same of the different year. It was mm-hmm. it only came once mm. for that purpose. And I called my dad. I said, Dad, you know, you know what? Uh, I got money ready. Actually, it's already in Australian currency. Yeah. Joke. Yeah. So now that was 1992. Mm. The story I told you about the Hudson Frame Project was just a few years ago. Mm. And I could tell you many more like that. Now, of course, God's provision is not just in financial terms, but there are many, many things that God provides. Miracles happen, you know, uh, visas being granted. Uh, you know, it was, I mean, uh, maybe just one, one last story. Then I yes, please, please. Stories are great. There's one, one, because your time is up. One last story. Now, in Pakistan, we, we have to apply for visa every three months. Mm. It's tough. Every three months, you have to go to the visa office mm. and get your visa renewed. That, that's hard work. I mean, I tremble every time I go to the visa office because, I mean, you don't know whom you will meet and whether they are nice to you, whether they will be nasty and all that. And every time I went, I, I tremble. I pray to God. Mm-hmm. So one and time can, we I went, just, can we just give some context yeah. for our listeners? So a visa is what would allow Patrick and his wife to stay in the to country stay for another, so if, another three months in and Pakistan if you don't get your visa top, you gotta well, uproot out. everything yeah you, you have, you're out now mm-hmm. i we were working in a hospital in mm-hmm. in pakistan as as doctors mm-hmm. but you still have to apply to for visa so if you get your visa you stay three months and mm-hmm. then you go back i can get three months all mm-hmm. right so my three months was up so i went to the visa office and they say look you can't stay i say i say why you know we got all our papers no 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 it's not right. So he said, this is not correct. That is not correct. He said, no, I give you 10 days, pack your bags and go. Wow. Now, obviously, I know that, you know, they were making lives very difficult for us. And perhaps they wanted some money, which mm. we didn't offer and all that. I don't know what the reason was. But he was getting very, very uh, kind of uh, difficult. 
mm -hmm. uh, increasingly difficult. So, so I say something which was really um, very uncultural, maybe rude in, in that culture. I say, well, I know that you're asking us to leave, but, but can you give me one more chance? Can you allow me to see your superior? Can I meet with your superior? Now, that is actually not very cultural. That's very rude, right? If I say, let me see your superior, meaning I don't agree with you, that's not a very nice thing to say. I, I took the risk and he kind of paused, he struggled and he said, okay, I'll let you see my superior. So he led me to see the deputy director of immigration in Pakistan in Karachi, Karachi city, the deputy director of Karachi city, which is very high rank, all right? The top guy or one of the top guys. So into this very big room, you know, big office, big room, big chairs. And Jenny and I were there and they say, okay, sit down. And then this junior guy say, okay, this is wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. And, you know, he wanted to see you, but I gave him 10 days. He had to go. Right. So he looked at our names and our files. He read out the names. He read out the names. Oh, Patrick Fong. And then he read the next file, Jenny Fong. And he paused at the name Jenny Fong for a long time. Jenny Fong. And he said, oh, I know this name. I said, oh, hang on. I, I was thinking to myself, how did he know Jenny Fong? Oh, I know who you are. You just delivered my grandson four days ago in your hospital. Wow. I mean, we have 600 babies born in our hospital per month. How do I know who's your grandson? I don't know. Yeah. He said, you deliver. He talked to my wife. He said, you deliver my grandson four days ago. You know, the next thing he asked me, he said, would you like Pepsi or Sprite? <laughs> That's a good sign. <laughs> <laughs> would, you like, would you like Pepsi or Sprite? I said, okay. All yeah. right. And then... When we had our drink, he turned to the last page and signed a paper and told the guy, say, okay, everything is fine. Let him stay. That's mm. it. That, we got our visa for another three months. Now, that is what I meant by God's work done in God's way. We never let God supply. It's not just money. It, it is it's God's work, God's mm. way, mm. God's provision. And, yeah. and uh, how do I know Jenny deliver his, his grandson? Exactly. His grandson? I don't know, but that's God's timing. Yeah. And God Absolutely. knew beforehand that we had to go to the visa office, mm -hmm. you know, four days later. Yeah. So that's just another amazing story. So there you are. I think I. That's that's awesome. Thank you, because you know what? Those often those stories are what is so encouraging to hear. Yeah. Uh, the real life personal ways that God has worked. I wonder as we kind of approach the last few minutes of our of our conversation, we'd love to get just your wisdom for for our listeners on incarnational ministry, how we are the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. Uh, and I know um I know you've written a, a short book on this actually, um, based off a quote by one of OMF's yeah. earliest leaders, DE Host. He has this famous quote, live to be forgotten. Uh, so that Christ will be remembered. And I wonder, Patrick, would you be able to to unpack what that's saying, how it's impacted your own life? Uh, yeah, incarnation and ministry, it, it's easy to talk about, but living it out is always challenging. And, mm. and even now, I ask God, what does it mean in a COVID, you know, time, you know, we're all under restrictions, you know, right. 
when we say, you know, incarnation of what, is, what does that mean? But God, when I prayed that prayer, it was a few months, well, about two months ago, God taught me a lesson. Hmm. It was during a, a lunchtime. It was very interesting. It was a lesson unexpected, totally unexpected. I was eating my late lunch at 3 p.m. in a food court in Singapore. You know, in Singapore, there are many food courts. Mm-hmm. Like in Toronto, there are food courts as well. Yeah. And you buy lunch and then you sit down somewhere, you know, many tables and, you know, you just sit one, at one of the tables. So it was late lunch for me. It was 3 p.m. And so there were not many people. And so there were people eating there and they were also cleaners, you know. They cleaned up the table. They, you know, take away the plates and all that. An old lady, I think she probably is over 60, probably nearly 70. She looked elderly to me. She, wear, she wore a uniform, so she was one of those cleaners uh, working in, the, in a kind of a food court. And I was eating, you know, having my lunch. She came forward to me. Now, I never met her before. She came forward, looked at me. The first thing to say, she said to me was this. She said, sir, I'm feeling very sad today. Hmm. Sir, I'm feeling very sad today. I was amazed. I say, I, I never met her. I don't know her, actually. I don't know her. I say, okay, tell me more. Why are you feeling sad? She said, you know, she's old and, um, you know, she worked in this place, which is fine. But she said, because of the lockdown, because of the pandemic, she has not been allowed to go to a lot of places and people cannot visit her even. Actually, mm-hmm. A few months ago, we are not even allowed to visit other people uh, in, by the government restrictions. We cannot visit other places, friends, even. You, right. You're not allowed. Even my daughter, I, I could not visit my daughter for two right. months. Wow. Uh, so she said, I feel really alone. Hmm. And, uh, you know, that, you know, this pandemic is killing me. She said, I'm really feeling very, very sad. Yeah. And she told me the whole story. And towards the end, I listen and listen. And then she said, oh, that's enough. And then she walked away. And because she has, she has to work, she's working there, right? And I continued my, my lunch. And I felt a bit, I kind of unfinished conversation. I said, that's it, you know? She told me the story and then she walked away. And I said, Lord, just teach me. What, what am I supposed to do? And then I said, okay. The Lord said, go and pray with her. Mm-hmm. And so I finished my lunch. I went back to her. She was at the other end of the food court. And I said, I heard your story and I thank you for, for, for sharing your story with me. And I know that you're feeling very sad, but would you mind if I pray for you? Yeah. She said, yeah, you, you pray for me. Mm-hmm. I said, I will pray in the name of Jesus because I'm a Christian. And she said, yeah, okay. Now, when I opened my mouth, I paused and she knew that I struggled. You know the struggle? Because I never asked her name. Mm. I never know what her name was. So when I say I pray, I, I, I didn't even know her name. Mm. I think she realized probably my struggle. And she said, Wan Ying, that's a Chinese name. Wan Ying, call me Wan Ying. Yeah. And I just pray. I say, Lord, I commit this dear lady, Wan Ying, to you. Mm. And, uh, you know, pray for her. And I could see the big smile on her face And uh, after I prayed. Now, the one thing I learned about this was, again, listen. Hmm. The Lord said, well, when you listen, when you're willing to listen, you 
demonstrate the love of Christ in a very tangible way when you're willing to listen to people. Now, I never expected that. God taught me that lesson. I didn't expect to listen to an old lady sharing with me her story when I was having lunch. You know, I was probably wanting to be quiet by myself, but God said, no, you minister to her, you pray for her. So that was a very interesting lesson for me, but a very powerful lesson for me. That was just quite recent. That was just last month, actually. That happened to me last month. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's it. Thank you. And thank you for sharing that because I think we are tempted at times to, to, to glamorize these moments or to say that it's, it's got to be, we have to start like a nonprofit if we're going to actually yeah, yeah, people yeah. in tangible ways. And we don't realize just the, the everyday moments that God puts people in our lives uh, and gives yeah. us the opportunity to be practical expressions of his love towards them. Uh, Patrick, before we land the plane, anything else you'd like to, to add to what we've talked about or any other insights, um, whether it's on purpose in life and ministry, your leadership or incarnational um, love towards people, anything you want to add before we finish up? Not, not very much, but I, I think uh, I just pray that we can learn from one another, meaning the intergenerational learning. Hmm. I think it's, not, it's never one way. It's not the young learning from the old, but also the old learning from the young as well. Hmm. And I pray that you know, in God's mercy, we learn from one another and we challenge one another for God's purpose. Yeah. And so I pray that we are uh, an intergenerational community learning together and mm. growing together. And I, I want to be learning as well. And one thing I learned is this uh, a recent uh, practice I've been doing for the past one year now. Uh, whenever I write something, mm. whenever I, you know, prepare my sermon even, mm -hmm. I will give it to my son mm. and say, critique the sermon, critique what I wrote. Yeah. If that makes sense. He will yeah. write back and say, okay. He will use a red pen and mark out things that he doesn't agree. Okay. And that was good. And we discussed, we talked together. And then I say, okay, this is version two. What do you think? Mm. The latest one, I did a, the fourth version. Wow. And then version four, he said, well, this looks quite good now, I think. That's what he said to me. Yeah. <laughs> when, when, I, when I wrote the version four, he said, well, this, this is not bad. This is good now. Mm. So I, I, I learned from him. Mm. So I think we can learn from one another. Absolutely. I'm sure we can. Absolutely. It's never unilateral. It is, it is both ways, I think. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you. Well, thank you, Patrick. And just uh, if people wanted to uh, learn more about OMF, get, get connected in, in some way, uh, what are some of the ways they could do that? Websites or social media platforms? I, I think you can look up www.omf.org. That's mm -hmm. one very simple. There are lots mm -hmm. of materials there and good stories as well. If you think this is, there are some stories you heard today, but there are many, many more stories you can find out from the website. But if you want to write to me directly, uh, you can write patrick.phone at omf.com, uh, patrick.phone at omf.com. And, and phone oh, is F-U-N-G. Okay, yeah, yeah. so patrick.phone, F-U-N-G, at omfmail.com. Yeah. Mail.com, yeah. That's awesome, thank you. And I know, correct. And I know too- The simple um, one, the simple one would be gd at omfmail.com. That's also okay. possible. Yeah, Excellent. that's easier. Excellent. Yeah. But I'll, I'll be very happy to, to hear from you. 
Yeah. And I know that on social media, I think you just look up uh, OMF, OMF International and you can find yeah, it on exactly. Instagram and Facebook. Right on. Thank you. Well, well, Patrick, thank you so much for your time and for the wise things you've shared. We're really grateful for you yeah. and your leadership and you sharing your wisdom with us today. Yeah, Lovely to talk to you. Thank you so much indeed. Hey friends, thanks so much for taking the time to check out today's episode on the Kingdoms podcast. If this has been helpful, encouraging, or added value to your life, I would love it if you would just take a second and share this, like it, and maybe even subscribe online. Anything you can do to promote this goes so far as we're working really hard to use this resource to bless others and make a difference in our world. So thanks again. Hopefully we'll see you next time on the Kingdoms podcast. Thanks for listening. We hope that you enjoyed that conversation with Patrick Fung. Thanks again to Luke and the Kingdoms podcast team for allowing us to share it with you. Do remember to go and check out some of their other episodes. And if you want to hear more from us at the Surveysia podcast, don't forget to subscribe so that you get notifications about future episodes. You can find us on Instagram at Surveysia podcast. And if you'd like to be in touch about anything that you've heard today or things that you'd like to hear on the podcast in future, you can drop us an email uk.podcast at omfmail.com to be sharing this and other episodes with friends and we look forward to speaking to you on the next episode of the Surveysia podcast goodbye